Amen. Thank you very much. I probably won't need this, but I'm going to sit right here. Um, hey, my name is Scotty Dancy. I uh, am an elder here at Grace Fellowship, and I also serve as the Young Life Area Director in Kingsport and have for the last 15 years. Uh, uh, the Young Life, most of you know what Young Life is, but if you don't know what Young Life is, it is a uh, ministry uh, that is, uh, our mission is to reach out to high school, middle school kids who don't know Jesus and to share Christ with them. Uh, and uh, and so I will be sharing a little more about that uh, this morning. But um, hey, I hope you're having a great summer. Um, that it, it's kind of a, you know, it's, it's flying by, it seems that. Uh, but uh, my family, um, that we kind of have this two, three year tradition that the last day of school, I take May, Grace, and Ben to uh, Krispy Kreme Donuts. And while over donuts, we make out our summer bucket list of what we're going to do. That's what we're going to do this summer. And, uh, you know, that they put, uh, you know, that they wanted to go. Um, uh, that Ben wanted to learn to do a backflip off the diving board. Uh, that Mary Grace wanted to get another dog. Uh, you know, that, uh, uh, you know, and then Ben put he wanted to go to the, um, uh, was it the Grand Canyon? No, Mount Rush. He wanted to see Mount Rushmore. And, uh, um, and then, you know, there's some other things on there that, that some that are doable, some that are not doable. Uh, uh, but, uh, but one of the things we put on there is that we wanted to go to Washington, D.C. Uh, and here's the thing is that, that my family, that, that Ben has the same love for history that I have, uh, but he also shares my love for baseball. And so we have this, we've concocted this idea is that we're going to see every major league stadium at some point. Uh, and so kind of going to Washington, D.C. means we could cross off two because there's the Nationals and the Orioles, you know, right there 45 minutes apart. And so that was kind of part of what we were, uh, you know, in our plan. And so I, I looked at the calendar and saw that the Nationals and the Orioles were playing back-to-back nights. Uh, and so um, I let Ben book the, make the tickets, which I will always do that now. I mean, it, it costs us a lot of money, but it's the best seats I've ever had at a baseball game. <laughs> uh, so we went to D.C., um, and we, we kind of, it was a last minute, you know, we, we decided to do it two weeks before uh, that we went. And uh, we went and we saw all the monuments. Uh, we saw the Washington Monument at sunset, uh, and we saw the Lincoln Memorial at night, uh, and, uh, you know, that we uh, saw the, the different, uh, you know, the, the pools, the reflection pools. And, um, you know, we actually went up to 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue and uh, we're staying at the White House. And, and we, you know, we had, you know it's, I haven't been there since uh, 9-11. And, and so it's barricaded. And all of a sudden these, you know, Secret Service are closing off the sidewalk. And I just thought that happens at 6 p.m. You know, like that's just that must be standard procedure. Well, no, like after they close it, we see a motorcade uh, drive past us. Uh, the President Trump was leaving the White House where it was the, is the uh, anniversary of D-Day. Uh, and so he was going to, some, going to the Trump Hotel uh, in D.C. there to, uh, to, for some uh, celebration of that. And, uh, uh, and so the first day we walked, just seeing the monuments, we walked probably about 10 miles. Uh, and then the next day we went to Arlington Cemetery and we went to an Orioles baseball game. Uh, and we drove over to Baltimore, and um, and so we were. So if you like, like I said, Ben picked out the seats, best seats I've ever had at a Major League Baseball game. It is 20 rows up from first base, the dugout, 
one row over. And so we're standing, we're sitting in this row, and um, and we took, I took our gloves just in case we had extra time, you know, to 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 kind of throw, you know, before the game or or whatever. Well, we're sitting so close, and there's not a net. I just put my glove on my hand and just leave it on my hand the whole game because I thought if a foul ball comes this way, my bare hands isn't going to catch it, and I'm afraid it might hit, you know, one of my kids in the face or whatever, and so. That was a great decision that I made with keeping my glove on my hand is that the game, the Orioles were down and that they made a late uh, game charge to kind of catch up. Uh, and uh, and so they hit like two home runs in the eighth inning. And then in the ninth inning, uh, we're sitting there. And every inning, before, every inning, Ben would try to go down to the dugout because we're 20. And they would throw up baseballs out of the dugout. And he was bound and determined. And every inning, he would go down there and he wouldn't get one. Uh, and uh, so ninth inning, we're, it's me, Ben, Mary Grace, and then Dana. And, uh, and Adam Jones comes up to the plate. Uh, Adam was uh, center fielder for the Orioles. And uh, like the third pitch that he's thrown, he hits this foul ball. And it wasn't like one of the foul balls that go back this way. It was a foul ball that was a screamer right at about 20 rows up uh, in, the, <laughs> in, in, the, in the grandstand. And... I'm sitting there, and I'm watching the game, and all of a sudden this baseball is coming right towards Mary Grace. And so I, all I have time to do is stand up and reach my glove over and catch this baseball right in front of her face. Uh, and, uh, and it was like that I was sitting there that I had my glove on. If I barehanded, I probably wouldn't have got there in time. But, and the crowd around me went nuts. Like they were just that, – that I had caught this baseball. It was as much luck as skill – but I caught this baseball, and the crowd around me, like, people are hot. Strangers are high-fiving me. That, I, And Ben and I have this, this moment that I, I, can't even, I can't even explain this moment. I will never forget this moment in my life uh, that I had with my son, is that we high-fived, and he had the biggest smile on his face. He was so excited. And so, and then so we're, so that, like, the next batter hits a home run to tie the baseball game. So the crowd's still going nuts, and then... We're kind of excited because, you know, we've got this baseball. I caught, This is the baseball that I caught right there. Uh, and two minutes later, two or three minutes, there, there's not been a word spoken between Ben and I. There's not been, like, we're just, just this moment that has been shared. And he looks at me and he fist bumps me. And he's not a fist bumper, but it was like he was just so excited. Uh, you know, and then the next night we, we kind of did some more. We went to the Smithsonian Museums and... Uh, and then we went to a Nationals game. And, and there was an unforeseen consequence of us this trip is that Ben fell in love with the Nationals. I'm a Braves fan. He fell in love with the Nationals. He came back a Nationals fan. Um, but that trip has been one of the greatest trips our family uh, has had. You know, I'd say Disney World here and this D.C. trip was right here. Uh, and I posted probably eight or nine pictures on Instagram, which I think up to that point I probably averaged one every five weeks. Uh, and, and I posted seven or eight while we were in D.C. Um, and since we've been back, and Dana posted, you know, she had her share of posts as well about different pictures. And uh, But since we've been back, people have asked us, you know, hey, hey, tell me about your trip to D.C. because we're going to go next week or we're going to go in a few weeks or we're going to go next year. Or even, hey, how did you get these baseball seats? You know, where how did you get these tickets? How did you do this? And so we, we've been able to tell people about our trip. We have proselytized. Our D.C. trip, we're the biggest fans for D.C. that share what happened 
to us and what you should see and maybe what you shouldn't do. And uh, you shouldn't plan on walking the whole time. Like we walked 30 miles. That's one thing you shouldn't do. Um, but it was like we were able to share with people what happened with us on our D.C. trip. And it got me thinking of, like, why is it so hard for me to share the best news in my life? The greatest news that has ever happened. Catching this foul ball, it, it, it ranks pretty high up there for me. Um, but it's not the greatest thing that has happened to me. And if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, it's not the, like, the greatest thing that's happened to you. Is that you have become a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. But why are we so frightened to share what's happened in our lives? Why is it so intimidating for us to tell other people about what God has done in our lives? I, I did a little bit of research. The two most common fears uh, is one is just the fear of rejection. What will this person think about me when I tell them about my faith? Will they reject me? Will they reject my faith? That's number one. And then number two is the fear of knowing what to say. You know, I, I meet people, they say, well, Scotty, I don't know much about the Bible, and I don't know what I'd say. So those two fears, fears of not knowing what to say, fear of rejection. But see, as a follower of Jesus Christ, you have the secret. Colossians 1, 26 and 27 says, The mystery has been made known. The secret is this, Christ in you, the hope of glory. The mystery has been made known. The secret is this, Christ in you, the hope of glory. See, we have the secret to a life fulfilled. As followers of Christ, we have the secret to a life full of meaning. We have the secret to a life full of love. Not a, not a life to, not a secret to a, a perfect life, but a life full of meaning, full of purpose, full of love. Is that when we have Christ, is that he, is, he, he meets all those needs for us. See, this right here, I used to worship at the altar of baseball. You know, from the age of about 12 to, to 19. And that this is where I sought meaning. This is where I sought life. And about 19, all those dreams came crashing down and worship at this altar left me empty and alone and broken. But it's about that time that I, somebody shared with me the gospel of Jesus Christ and it changed everything for me. And so, and it, it, I am a new creation because of this news that I heard. As a follower of Christ, you are a new creation because somebody shared with you whether it was a Sunday school teacher, whether it was a parent, whether it was uh, a friend, a roommate, a pastor, um, that you are different because somebody shared the news with you. You're a new creation. And, and it, even if, if I think even more of the, the, this news, this incredible news that, you know, that I tell high school kids, it's the greatest story ever told is the story of redemption is that Hollywood can't make it up. Hollywood can't touch it because of how great this story is. But it's the truth. It says, while we were sinners, Christ died for us. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. Not while we were being good, while we were trying to get our act together, 
But while we were sinners, while we were far off, while we were living life on our own, Christ died for us. Just let that sink in. Like, it's unmerited, undeserved. It is the beautiful grace of God. It's a gift that has been given. It's been given to each one of us. It's been offered to each one of us. And you know what? It's not meant to be a secret. It's not meant to be held in. You see, uh, that when uh, see a Young Life leader showed up on my high school campus, and he had nothing in common with me. Is here I am, athletic and love sports, and and he was outdoorsy, uh, loved camping and hiking, and as a city boy that just did not appeal to me. But he showed up at my high school, and he hung around, and. He talked to me and my friends, and he asked questions about our lives. And at some point, uh, that me and my friends started going to Young Life. And then we started hanging out at his house. And at some point, we said, I want to be like him. At this point, I had no desire to follow Jesus. But, but I said, I want to be like Ed. What, years later, is what I really wanted was be like Jesus. Because, see, Jesus was in him. And he was showing me Jesus. He was telling me Jesus, but the words, his life was speaking louder than his words were to me. And it made all the difference in the world. I stand here because of of his courage to tell me, to not just tell me, but to show me Jesus. So, to really, I think, you know, as I'm going to talk to you about, uh, really, Joel asked me to, to share with you how to, Share your faith. Intentional evangelism is that I have been leading Young Life for over 20 years. And for the last two decades, I have been training Young Life leaders how to share their faith. And it's really easy. Um, it's just simply sharing your life. First uh, Thessalonians 2 says, We loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our very lives as well. We love you so much that we are delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our very lives as well. Is I think the most important part is that we share our lives. And maybe we'll get an opportunity to put words to our lives. But even if we never get an opportunity to put words with our lives, is that hopefully our lives will speak loud enough. Let's see, my friend Ed, is that I wanted to be like him. I didn't know it at the time, but I wanted to be like him because he had Jesus and I didn't. Hey, and so I thought, you know, of, of the passages in Scripture that I want to look at. John 4 um, is one I want to go to. See, that I'm going to teach you how I, I train Young Life leaders to share their faith. Uh, and it's, but it's not something that Young Life has come up with. It's not something that Young Life has concocted. Um, it's not the Young Life way. What I believe is the way of Jesus. It's that we've just watched how He has done ministry. It was intentional, purposeful. And that that's the way we try to emulate. And so if you turn your Bible to John chapter 4. Chapter 4, verse 4. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son, Joseph. 
Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from this journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone in town to buy food. So so kind of to set the stage a little bit here, is that typically Jews and Samaritans did not mingle with one another. Uh, that Jews uh, and Samaritans, they had theological uh, disagreements uh, and that maybe the Jews didn't really think that they had um, a real faith. And, and so that there was, a, there was a conflict between the two. Uh, and, and so that they typically, when you know, Jews would go, they would not go through Samaria, they would go around Samaria to get to the other side. They, you know, the, the quickest point, A and B, they wouldn't go that way, they would go around to get but Jesus, it says he had to go through Samaria. Is that he didn't let those disagreements, he didn't let those things keep him from where God was leading him. Um, is that I think the first thing, the first step uh, in sharing your faith is pray. Pray, pray, pray. You see, Jesus has been led by his heavenly Father. Uh, that God was leading him where to go is that we need God to lead us to where to go or who to talk to. And so Jesus is being led, and he's been faithful, and he goes through Samaria. He goes to this well. Um, so so his, Jesus was very intentional. Like, it wasn't like, oh, it's an accident that he went to this well. It's almost like you could see, you know, that, that it was a, a determined meeting. You know, that there was an eternal meeting that had been set up for Jesus. He was going there to meet with this woman. And the Bible says it was the sixth hour. Uh, notice that, uh, you know, that the way, the, the way they kept time is that they started time when the sun rose. And so it wasn't like sixth hour is not 6 a.m. Sixth hour is noon. It's the middle of the day. And most people in this culture would go get water early in the morning. Before, the, before it got hot. But here this woman is at the well at midday. There's nobody else at the well. See, in the morning when everybody would go, it was like a, it was like a community event of the gathering of water. And it was like, you know, all the women would be just sitting there catching up with one another and laughing and talking and community, fellowship. Uh, but this woman goes and there's nobody else there. Could it have been that she was running behind that day? That's possible, but that's not what many think. Many think is that she was intentional about showing up at midday when nobody else was going to be there. See, we'll later see about her life, but she was avoiding other people because of her past, of what they knew about her. You see, Jesus was intentional. We'll later see he knew all about that, but he showed up there. What does it look like for us to be intentional in the lives of those around us? You know, I think step one is to, to pray. And step two is to, to be intentional. To show up where people are. Jesus showed up at this well where this woman was. He could have gone around, but he just simply showed up at the well. Maybe God has put somebody at your office on your heart. Maybe you stop by their desk. And just say hello. Ask how their weekend was. Um, or, you know, that maybe 
you invite them to go to lunch with you. Or maybe it's your neighbor who's out trimming the bushes and you stop in to just shoot the breeze about the weather or or how how their yard looks or, or whatever it is that you just stop and go out of your way. You know, often I, I will pull into my my driveway and I'll see my neighbor out and I'm like, Man, I'm tired, I don't want to talk. I don't want to you know, like but if if I'm being intentional, because I'll stop and say, How's it going? How are you doing? You know, like, you know I will engage a conversation. Um what it look like for us to be intentional with our friends, our neighbors, our families, um, to go out of our way to share our faith, to share our lives, to share the gospel. See, God was leading Jesus to the well in Samaria. Who or where is He leading you? Uh, where, where is He leading you? Again, it goes back to that first step is pray. We've got to pray that, that He would lead us, give us opportunities to share our faith. And I have found that they will come in bunches when we do that. Uh, whether it's at, the, it's at the grocery store or whether it's, uh, you know, at uh, uh, the hardware store, opportunities will come. So we go on down to, um, to, uh, to verse 7. When the Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? And the Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself? As did also his sons and his flocks and his herds. And Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Notice how Jesus starts the conversation. He starts it with a question. Like, will you give me a drink of water? As he didn't start off with this, theological monologue of, you know, like, let me tell you about who I am and why you should listen to me. Uh, or he didn't say, hey, why don't you go to church with me this Sunday? Not that there's anything wrong with that. But see, Jesus is building a relationship. Is it, In young life, we call it earning the right to be heard. You see, that, you know, there's an old cliche that says they don't care what you know until they know that you care. You see, we are trying to build a bridge of friendship. And across, we'll go across this bridge of friendship to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Just imagine if you showed up at your place of employment or, you know, you, took, you dropped your kids off at school and you saw some other parents there and you said, hey, let me tell you about Jesus. What's, what would their response be? Like, if I show, if, if I, legally, if, if, I, if, if I could do it, but if I showed up at a high school campus and said to high school kids, hey, let me tell you about Jesus. What do you think their response would be? Like, who is this nut job and why is he here? Is that, is that you've got to build trust. You've got to build the rapport. You've got to build this relationship. See, my, my relationship with my young life leader is I wanted to be like him. But that, it didn't start that way. It started out me making fun of him. Like it started about me making fun of the way he dressed or the way he talked. It was, but he built a relationship. He showed up week after week in my life. And he, 
he came to our baseball games, and our baseball team was terrible, and, uh, and nobody else was there except parents and girlfriends, and there he was. And after the game, he would say, good game, whether we, I had a good game or not. Uh, but he was intentionally showed up. And the thing I love most about him is that he wanted to know about my life. He asked me questions about 50 blue million things that I thought didn't even matter. Um, but he asked questions because he wanted to get to know me. See, he was building this trust. He was building this relationship. He was earned the right to be heard. I think for us is that it's a natural progress as we pray. We're intentional by showing up. And we just simply ask questions in people's life to get to know them. Like, for example, it might be, hey, so tell me about your weekend. What did you do? But that may spur on even further questions. It may start out very superficial questions. You know, if they're, if they're a parent, tell me about your kids. Fasten your seatbelt. They'll talk for a while. You know, or if they're grandparents, well, you might, you might pack a lunch because they might be talking for a while, a real long while. Is that people love to talk about their lives. That, that they want to, we have this inherent desire to be known. Is that for it to be so, so we ask somebody about their life, we ask them about their family, is that they will begin to open up and share their life. It may take a little while to earn that trust. But, but it's not just that, oh, we're going to do this. But it's, we do that because we love them. We want to get to know them. Is if God has put it on our hearts to share the gospel with them. Is I think part of this whole praying that God will put people on our hearts is that we tend to love them the way He loves them. We love them greater than what we're capable of loving them. And so as we're asking these people these questions about their lives, is be a listener. Like, don't, don't feel like you have to give feedback of, well, you know, one time I went to that. Just listen. Is it, you'll, you'll earn their respect, you'll earn their trust. Just listen. But also, in your mind, be filing a way of ways that you can be praying for them. You know, that they may talk about their family and that you may sense pieces of brokenness in there. You may, you may detect pain. You know, that just file that away as prayer requests, a way you can be praying for them. So you ask questions. Earn the right to be heard. They don't care what you know until they know that you care. You know, it's, Jesus started with this conversation about water. Just simply, will you give me a drink? And then somewhere along the lines, it turns into where Jesus says, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. See, Jesus starts with a question. And then he gets at the very root of it, eventually. I mean, this happens in like... A paragraph. I'm not saying that'll happen in a paragraph in, in our approach. Maybe it will. Uh, but see, Jesus is able to point to himself. He said, I'm the one who can satisfy you. I'm the one who can meet all the needs that you're trying to meet. He said, I'm the source of life. I can meet your needs. You see, I think that's, that's our goal, is that we just simply want to point people to Jesus. Say, let me tell you about the one who has, has filled my life. Let me tell you about the one who has changed me. You know, it, when I first uh, became a Young Life leader, I, I was arrogant enough to think that I was changing people's lives. 
is that I thought that I was saying the right thing, that I was doing the right thing, until I took this group of knuckleheads to a Young Life camp uh, back when I was 21, 22. And these, these kids were knuckleheads. Uh, and that they didn't do anything. They didn't listen to me the whole week. And at the end of the week, I was frustrated because they all needed Jesus. They, they, they all needed to know Jesus the way that I wanted them to know them. And not a single one of them came to faith that week that we were at Young Life Camp. And I came home, and I was absolutely just broken and devastated. And uh, my roommates, who had the wisdom at the time, I was just sobbing because I was so frustrated. He said, Scotty, it's not your job. That's not your job to change them. It's not your job to, to save their souls. Only God can do that. I was arrogant enough to think that I could. Uh, is that it is not our job to save the souls of our friends, our families. It's not our, it's not our responsibility to say the exact right thing to where they come to faith. It is that I am convinced that it is the whole work of the Holy Spirit. Is that we simply just show up and we are faithful. But we can't like we can't convict hearts. We can't make people change their minds. We're just faithful. And we allow God to work how He chooses to work. And we want to point people to Jesus. That's what Jesus is pointing. He's like, hey, it's me right here. I'm the one who can meet your needs. I'm the one who can satisfy the longings of your soul. Here's the thing. We, we can't do that because we can't satisfy the longing of anyone's soul. But we know the one who can. We can point them to Jesus. It's interesting. This is where it takes an interesting turn. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. And Jesus said to her, You're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain. But you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. I mean, this is like Jesus lays down some truth here. Is that we see what this woman was hiding from. Is that we see the brokenness of her life is that she has been trying to fill this emptiness, this void in her life with relationship. And so she, you know, had a, that she poured everything she had into this relationship and it didn't work out. So that relationship ended and then she poured everything that she had into the next relationship. And that didn't work out. And she felt more empty than before. And so she just went from relationship to relationship to relationship. Each time feeling more empty more broken, more lost than ever before. Again, we talked about the townspeople. I'm sure they had their comments. I'm sure they had their ridicule for her. It's a woman, she can't keep a man. Or whatever else they might have said about her. I, I can't imagine the brokenness this, this woman must have felt. But I can't imagine the brokenness that I have felt in my life. When the dream of baseball didn't pan out. Or, the, you know, when I dropped out of college the first time and, um, and it seemed like my dream of a college education was gone and even broken relationships along the line. Is, is that brokenness has been a part of my life and, and I imagine 
I know it's been a part of your life as well, is that we've all dealt with brokenness. And that I think sometimes the church has been guilty of when somebody is broken and that they're feeling this emptiness, is that we smack them while they're down. Is that we're quick to judge. We're quick to condemn. That's not the way of Jesus. You know, it was Gandhi who said, I love your Jesus, it's your Christians. Uh, you know, the, I forget the rest of it. But, but, but in, in respect is that there was a difference of Jesus and the followers of Jesus, the way that we sometimes act. Um, is that the Jesus, yes, he shared the truth. Um, but John says that Jesus was full of grace and truth. If you look at the way that he handled the woman caught in adultery, she deserved to die. She deserved, she'd gotten caught. She deserved to be stoned. But where was the male? Like, there was only one woman there. And that Jesus knew that they were not, they were using this woman as a trap. So Jesus says, where are those who have condemned you? She said, they're, they're gone. You know, they'd all left. He said, neither do I. Is it Jesus full of grace and truth? And as we're intentional about getting involved in people's lives, it's messy. And that the pain that they feel is sometimes that we will feel their pain and their brokenness as well. It's just part of getting involved in somebody's life. It's messy. But we're called to do it. It's the Great Commission. Go and make disciples of all nations. That we are called to get involved in the lives of those around us. But when we do, I want to call us, I want to encourage us. Grace and truth. See, we don't want to be so full of grace that we don't tell the truth. But we don't want to be so full of grace or truth that we just smack them around a bit. Gosh, probably about six, seven years ago uh, that I had gotten to know this uh, high school boys. And I'd known them since they were freshmen. And I had seen them choose the route of alcohol and drugs. And I was trying to be a voice of grace in their life and how you need Jesus and, and that I hung out with them and, uh, and they would come to Young Life periodically. And, uh, and again, I'm earning the right to be heard. I want them to hear me proclaim the gospel to them. Like I'm asking questions, but there's a time where I'm going to share the truth with them. It's going to be full of grace and truth. And so I've just been kind of praying for that opportunity, that, that, that door for me to walk through to share the truth. Uh, with them and before that happened that they both had gotten kicked out of their house had been arrested for dealing drugs uh, they had uh, uh, they had been in a car wreck where one should have gone to jail and the other lacerated his kidney and should have died and uh, I began um, so one day I called them up and said hey let's hey, meet me for lunch and so I, I took them to lunch and we had this conversation about life and and I said, hey, let me, let's just talk about, like, we both know, you know that I know kind of what's all going on in your life. And I said, where do you think it's getting you right now? Like, and you know, they said, hey, Scotty, there's nothing wrong with me smoking weed. Like, like there's nothing wrong with that. And uh, I said, well, let's just do an inventory of what's happened in your life in the last 18 months. You see, he said, I was being bold. But that wasn't the first conversation I had. I had earned the right to be heard. They wanted to know what I had to say. And at the end of the conversation, two young men, one says, Scotty, you know you're exactly right. 
He gave his life to Christ. And the other did not. Uh, and that I have kind of from a distance kept in touch. And I'm not real surprised about the way things have gone for both of them. It has been different directions. But see, I'd been earning the right to be heard. I'd been intentional. I'd showed up in their lives. I'd asked them questions about whatever else was going on in their life. It started out superficial. And we did stuff together, whether it was playing frisbee golf or going fishing or we did this stuff. And then, but there came a moment where I was going to cross this bridge of friendship to tell the truth, to tell who Jesus is in my life. And what I saw in theirs, but see, it was, it was grace and truth. It wasn't, I wasn't smacking them around. I was just telling them what I observed. One responded to it, the other didn't. He and I are still, when I see him, we, we hug, we embrace. It, it's, um, but it, I was saddened. You know, it, it kind of gave me an idea when Jesus walked away from the rich young ruler. Is when I walked away from that lunch. With this, I was excited for the one man and the other young man. I was saddened because he was passing up life to the full. You know, it's just interesting. This woman, I mean, Jesus told her everything about her or a lot about her. She realized she'd come face to face with God in the flesh of Jesus. Is that she had come face to face. How in the world does he know who I am? She says, I know the Messiah is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. And she said, I am he. I'm the one you're looking for. I'm what you've been looking for your whole life. See, that's what we're offering. It's people are, is it that... Ecclesiastes says that God has created everything beautifully, set eternity in the hearts of men. See, we, we have this longing for God that we can't fully fathom or understand. We all were created with this longing. And, and that we who have responded to Jesus, we, we have an understanding that that has been fulfilled. Uh, but for a world, we can watch our world around us seek life in all these different places. I mean, you could just, you know, whether it be wealth or power or sex or anything else, is that the world is seeking life. But see, we are a light. We have the secret. But God doesn't want it to be a secret. So I want to, kind of towards the end of the story, verse 28, we're going to skip over, you know, the, the disciples come back and Jesus has a conversation with them, but... But verse 28, it says, Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. So the woman, it says she dropped her water jar. And that's what she was there for. Like she came to get water. And she was so blown away by what happened she left her water jar. She left the whole reason she came to get water. And notice where she went. She went back to the people that she was avoiding. Is that something so incredible, something so great happened to her? Is that she left the reason she came and she went back to the people she was avoiding? She came to face to face with God and was changed by it. See, Jesus' intentional act of going through Samaria and simply asking this woman a question of, will you give me a drink of water? Changed everything. She didn't need her water anymore. And she went back to the people 
that she was trying to get away from. You see, that we can have that impact in the lives of others. Just simply by showing up, earning the right to be heard, investing, being intentional, just asking people routine questions about their lives. That we don't know what God can and will do through that. Hey, so really, as an application, I think there's, there's five steps of, of, of what I would say. If, if you do these five steps, is that I think God will give you opportunity to share your faith beyond your imagination. One is pray for God to lead you to someone to share your faith with. I say pray. I mean, it, it is, prayer is, that it is the most important thing. Is if you do it without prayer, prayer it's arrogance the way that I once did it. Is that I say pray first and foremost and pray all the way through it. You know, there was a, a time where I, I was praying is that, you know, that, you know, most of the people I was sharing my faith with were high school and middle school kids. And so I was like, God, give me an opportunity to share my faith with somebody who's not a high school kid. I mean, I, it's my passion. It's my calling. But I said, give me somebody to share my faith with. That day, I was at the grocery store and a conversation. I just said, how's your day? And the lady begins talking about it. And, and she's talking about, and I just, not physically, but I felt God tapping me on the shoulder and said, here it is. You know, like, and, and it was such, and it just blew my mind. I, I prayed that morning. I'm not saying that'll happen every day, but I'm saying if you will pray, God will give you opportunities. I am confident of that. Be intentional. Be intentional. That's number two. Show up where people are. If God puts it on your heart, you know, whether it's, it's a friend of yours who works somewhere else, maybe show up at their office or, or give them a call out of the blue. Uh, but be intentional. It's not, I'm going to wait till I see them. You may not see them. I'd say be intentional. Show up where they are. Number three is earn the right to be heard by asking questions about their lives. Listen with compassion. Listen with the idea that I'm going to be praying for what I hear in their lives. And number four is share your story. That as a believer in Christ, you have a story of where God has moved in your life. I meet people and say, well, my story's not that great. You know, a friend of mine once told me the greatest proof of God is a changed life. The greatest proof of God is a changed life. It's just simply for you to say, this is where I was and this is where I am. Did you simply share your story of what God has done in your life? Or, or maybe share some of the things that God has recently been doing in your life, but share your story. You see, because I wanted to know Ed's story. Is that, here's the, what makes him tick? What makes him want to hang out with me? Well, I heard a story, and his story was very similar to mine. You know, I, uh, again, I was so frustrated when I came to faith uh, because I had felt like I'd wasted years worshiping at the altar of baseball. And I, I, pray, I remember praying, God, like, will you redeem those years? Like, it was all about me. It was all about my glory. Again, I love the game, but it was, I had such regret because of what I considered wasted years. Um, and so a few years ago, I was serving at a Young Life camp uh, 
And we do this thing called real life where these people will kind of portray who they were in high school. And I was portraying this young man who was worshiping at the altar of baseball. And uh, I was sharing my story. And this kid named Nick from South Carolina came up to me. He's 18 years old, just graduated high school. And he said to me, hey, like, your story, that's my story. And, And I began to listen to his story. And I felt like I was looking into the eyes of 18-year-old Scotty. And I was able to tell him what I was told. The young man that week gave his life to Christ. But God redeemed it. And I now now coach a 10-year-old baseball team. And I'm able to share Jesus through this little object here uh, with my baseball team. But, But God will redeem that. In your story, Henry Now, one of my favorite writers, says that only a man who has been in the desert can lead another man out of the desert. Uh, that, that there is a, a friend of, you know, some of these high school kids I was working with, they were kind of dealing with drugs and, and kind of trying to get off those drugs. And I didn't have a, you know, th- this was my altar, not, not the drugs. But there was another young life leader who had dealt with drugs in his life. And it just, the way those kids were drawn to him. And he was able to share his story and lead them to redemption. Is that there's power in your story. And again, it doesn't you may say my story's not like that, and that's okay, but God can and will use your story. Share your story of how God has changed your life and is currently changing your life. And the last, keep praying. Keep praying. Praying that God would move. It's not your job to change your lives, it is the work of the Holy Spirit to to convict their hearts and to change them. So you start by praying. You pray all the way through, and you keep praying. I'm going to close with a story. Uh, years ago, there was a guy named Ken Guy uh, who wrote the book, Windows to the Soul. Uh, and uh, see, Ken uh, was um, in high school. Uh, there was a, a young life leader show up from his high school campus named Scott Manley. And Scott showed up and kind of did all these things, kind of built a relationship with Ken and... Uh, shared the gospel with Ken, and Ken gave his life to Christ and began walking with Jesus. And so, you know, he went on to become this very well-known Christian author. Um, And years went by, and Ken had married his wife, Judy, and they're at this convention. And Judy had never met Scott. And she finds out that he's at this convention. She makes a beeline to him. And she says, hey, Scott, my name is Judy Guy. You don't know me but I am married to Ken, and whom you led to Jesus. And she said, my roommate, whatever her name was, you led her to faith. And she came to TCU, and she led me to faith. And she said, I want you to meet my firstborn. She's a believer in Christ because of you. I want you to meet my second. He's a believer in Christ because of you. You know, she goes down this list of her kids. Is that they... They know Jesus because Scott was faithful and simply showing up in the lives of others. Is that we can impact the lives of those around us greatly. It's simply by showing up, asking questions about their lives, and sharing our story. I want to encourage you, pray, be faithful, and be bold. Let me pray. Dear God, thank you that you have given us life to the full. 
And Father, I pray that it would well up into us eternal life. That we will not be able to hold it in, but we will have to share it with those around us. Father, I pray that you give us opportunities to share. Even at the, um, the thing with FunFest out at the Allendale Mansion, Father, I pray that you give us opportunities to intentional, uh, intentionally ask questions of others, to invest in the lives of others. So, Father, help us remember it's about you, not about us. Father, I pray that you be glorified in all that we do. And I thank you that you have given us life and give us an opportunity to share that life with others. For your name I pray. Amen. You guys will stand with me and we'll sing as we close with it. There are chains around us. By grace, we are no longer.